guys has been on vacation? Who's already back from vacation? Hands up. Nice, nice, nice. You look very relaxed, very chilled. Hope you bring that chill out relaxation mode here in this room. Who of you guys is about to go or hasn't been yet but will go on vacation? Nice, nice. And all the other people, I see your jealous eyes <laughs> of all the people that will go on vacation. Uh, Just make sure Zurich is also a very nice place to be. You know, there's lakes, there's vacation mode right here, right now as well, if you don't have any vacation. I will go on vacation actually tomorrow. I am very pumped to preach today, and I'm very pumped to go on vacation today as well, to be honest. Because vacation times are always special times for me. You know, last year, I was uh, on vacation with my wife and my three children over summer at the Côte d'Azur in France. You see a picture right there um, of me. Yeah, the, the other picture, actually. Yeah, that's a nice picture. This, this picture, yeah, that was on my way to vacation, you know. I was uh, already on vacation mood. I was trying a new haircut, use as many gel as possible, put it all back, and, you know, and then no swimming pool and nothing will destroy your haircut. And I was growing out my beard because, you know, um, uh, it was, it was, uh, it was uh, up to date. It was hip. Hipster was hip still. Now it's not hip anymore, but it was hip. And when I was on the campground at the Côte d'Azur with my crowed out beard and I was checking in my little daughter to the kids program, there was this five-year-old English kid sitting next to me. Five-year-old. I was checking in herself, my daughter, and he was looking at me a little bit scared, you know, looking at my beard, looking at my hair and everything, you know, my sunglasses. And all of a sudden, he turned his head to me and he said, you look like Wolverine. <laughs> to which I answered, I am Wolverine. Takata. <laughs> no, of course not. But uh, I was thinking, how in the world can a five-year-old guy know about Wolverine? Because X-Men, I think, is apparently guidance 12 years, right? Or 16 years, I don't know. Well, we talk about, uh, not Wolverine, but at the end of my message, I will talk about, actually, a father wanting to kill his son. And we will come back later to that. But anyway, as I said, vacation times are always special times for me. Because over summer vacation, I have time to really cool down. And most of the time, God really speaks to me. And he gives me vision, new goals, new visions, and sometimes he even challenges me. And, and as it was last year when I was in, um, you know, you can say, uh, show the next picture. I was in my, with my wife in Monaco, you know, with the rich and beautiful and us. Uh, the, rest, the rest of us, uh, uh, they, are, they were all... Uh, They looked young and beautiful, but I think they all had plastic surgery there. <laughs> and us, the not rich and uh, young and beautiful, at least. <laughs> well, anyway, when I was sitting at, at, uh, at night with a nice glass of wine at the campground, I was reading a book by a pastor. His name is Francis Chen, and the book is called Crazy Love. And that book really challenged me because it is about that we people so quickly focus on all of our resources, on all the stuff we have, on all the, all the circumstances we are in, and all the resources, and we forget about the source. We forget about the relationship with Jesus, and we quickly uh, lost, lose track and, and lose focus on, on what it's all about. And, and while I was reading that, I, I felt really that during the last months and maybe even years of my Christian life, I have removed myself 
from the source of life, from Jesus, and I was depending on other resources, you know. It was, it was not that I was full of sin and had a, a, a lifestyle of all these compromises, but it was more, you know, maybe you know what I'm talking about. It was maybe a little bit more about, hey, I can, I have all this stuff, you know, I have a nice family, I have a nice house, I have a pretty decent salary that I can pay my bills, and I have this nice live life here in Switzerland, and I found myself that I'm, I can, it's dangerous to depend on all of that stuff and not to depend on the source of life, which is Jesus Christ. So I felt really challenged during this time and while I was reading that book, you know, uh, because when I was 19 years old, I started to dig into that Bible for myself and I found out that the God who is described in the Bible was not the God, the church I was sometimes, when I felt like it, attending to. It was not about a lifestyle of all these religious rules and, and, uh, and traditions to do, but it was more of entering into that deep connection and relationship with the one who desperately loves me and with the one who wants to be in relationship with me. And when I found that out when I was 19 years old, my life has been changed, really. I mean, the way I thought was different, the way I talked to people was different, my lifestyle was different. And now I was there 15 years later, thinking about my life and thinking that I really have removed myself of this intimate, deep connection, relationship, loving relationship with Jesus Christ while I was reading that book at the campground. So I want to take us on a journey. It's especially important for the one who will not go on vacation to at least have in this movie theater at the celebration today a little bit of a journey, you know, and I want to take us on a journey back to the source, you know. So are you ready to be with me on that journey. I will go now here, and this will be our first stop. And this stop of our journey is the road where we come to the realization that we actually, as I just said, we shouldn't trust all these resources, or they might become an idol, they might become our God. You know, resources are nice. Resources are resources, but not the source. And we live in a very interesting world. We, we as modern, civilized, Western people here, we think, of course, you know, we don't worship all these gods anymore, the gods and goddesses of the ancient times. We don't give offerings to all these gods, you know. What are you talking about, all these idols here in my life I can have? But to be honest, when we think about and look at our society and even at our lives, I think we might be in danger of doing exactly the same thing that the ancient people were doing, but just slightly in a different way. I mean, of course, nobody would bow down in front of the god of Aphrodite, the god of beauty, you know? But how many women in these times are doing everything to feel beautiful and they end up in depression with cut arms, with whatever, you know? And what else is that as an offering to the goddess of Aphrodite? I mean, nobody would offer, of course, a child, as it was back then, to Artemis, the goddess of hunting. I brought up a picture here. Artemis is the goddess of hunting, you know, with his arrows, you know. But in our days, how many men are obsessed with the thriving after their career and the next career step and this materialistic stuff and this little bit more money that I have? And really hunting after that 
And they find themselves in a position where all of a sudden relationships like a child or a spouse or friends are being destroyed because of that thrive after the next career step. And what else is that as a human sacrifice to the goddess of Artemis? You know what I'm talking about? So I think when we talk about this over lunch here, I think we are all in danger of putting resources too much in the center of our lives so they become a source and maybe an idol. I want to talk about three different types of idols, and we can talk about many idols this morning, but I brought with you three. And, of course, at the beginning, we always have Jesus. Huh? That's very important. We have Jesus as our foundation. Oops, yeah. We have Jesus, and he is, of course, the center of our life, but we are in danger of putting other stuff on top of him. And, for example, that could be love. The God of love, you know, could become actually an idol. You know, what is an idol? Just to make sure that we know what we are talking about. It's not these... It's not, it not, it's not these statues we are really offering stuff to, but it's different. Timothy Keller, a famous pastor from New York City, a theologian who wrote a book about modern Western time idolatry, he says, he puts it like this, he says, what is an idol? It is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. Anything can become an idol, but above all the most important goals in life. Wow, that's deep stuff. Huh? Only the creator can really fulfill us. So we are in danger of putting other stuff than our creator on top of that. And one thing could be love. I mean, as I just said, the search for love and acceptance can really thrive you and destroy you. I mean, there's women that do everything and they let you do anything with them just so that they might feel loved. Thinking about an old man who ends up a relationship, a long year relationship, a marriage for this new chick, just to feel freshly loved again. Or this young man that tries to do everything to, give, to get her into bed and then lets her go again. Just to have this kick of love, you know. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, I think the search for love and acceptance can become a source. But we shouldn't trust these resources. I mean, friendships, relationships are great resources, but they are not the source of our lives. Another thing could be greed. Greed is an interesting thing as well. I mean, money is a good thing, huh? It's a good resource. We can buy all kinds of stuff with money, but it be can become a god, actually. Greed basically is the love of money and the worry for stuff. Paul says in Colossians 3, verse 5, stop always wanting more and more. Greed is idolatry. It can be an idol. What is greed? Greed, basically, that is my definition, basically is that if, 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 you, if your self-value is dependent on your cash value. 
I need to repeat that because that was a very smart thing I came up when I was preparing that message. Greed could be if your self-value is depending on your cash value. You feel important and you feel good if your bank account is full and you don't feel good if it's empty. You know what I'm talking about? Then maybe that's a sign of greed in your life. Maybe you find yourself daydreaming about what can I buy myself next in order to have it good, you know? And just to make sure that all of that stuff is not bad, but if this stuff becomes the source of our energy, the source of our life, the source of our acceptance, the source of our well-being, then it might become an idol and God actually hates that. He doesn't want that. He wants to be the only one. I mean, the strategy of this God, the God of creed, I think is to make you blind of your real life condition. And let's be honest, we are living here in Switzerland. And nobody of us here in this room, of course, would not compare, you would not compare yourself with a person living in the third world country, right? We always compare ourselves to our next door neighbor who has a nicer car or the woman has the more expensive makeup or whatever, you know. We always compare ourselves of, with other people that have more and of course then we will feel poor. And all of a sudden we are in the trap of giving sacrifices to the God of greed. I mean, Jesus talks way more often, if you read the Bible, about money and greed, about the worry of stuff, than about any other kind of issues we can have, sexual immorality, whatever, you know. But if I were to do here um, a little bit of... Um, uh, hands up, you know, be honest, you know. People would say, yeah, I have a problem with pornography, I have a problem in my marriage, I have a problem with uh, jealousy, whatever, but I don't have a problem with greed. I mean, I give money to my church, I'm looking good, you know, it's all good. But maybe today, since Jesus is talking so much about that stuff, it's time to get honest and think, oh, wow, well, you know, I find myself daydreaming every once in a while about all that stuff, and if I'm honest... My self-value depends maybe a little bit about my cash value. One concrete way out of falling into the trap of the goddess of greed is this. As it says in the Colossians, stop wanting more and more. Start giving more and more. You can stop wanting more and more and you can start giving more and more. You know, the whole concept of tithing in the Bible is basically not because the church needs your money, but it be, it's because that we put our focus away on wanting more and more and falling into the trap because this one doesn't make us happy and satisfied, but putting our focus away and starting to give. And that's the way out of that God. The concept of tithing puts God into the center of our lives and not money anymore. And then all of a sudden, I tried it out when I became a Christian and it actually works. And I love it because I, st I stop worrying about all oh, these money issues in my life if I do that. It's a cool thing. But of course, it's 180 degrees different than our society lives, you know. We always need more and we want more, but it doesn't satisfy us more. All right, another last God I want to talk about this, morning, this afternoon is the goddess of success. Success, don't get me wrong, I like to be successful. 
I like to win in any kind of competition in sports. It is great and it feels good. But success can also be a thriving force that actually destroys us. You know, Madonna, famous singer, still looking very young, well, still looking very young yeah, for her age. And she says about success this one thing. She says, I have an iron will and all of my will has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being and then I get to another stage and I think I'm mediocre and uninteresting. Again and again. My drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre. And that's always pushing me, pushing me. Because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove I'm somebody. I've, my struggle has never ended and it probably never will. I don't know what you feel when you read these lines, but for me it sounds that Madonna has a big problem. And this obviously is destroying her life. But if I read these lines she's talking about, I know actually what she is talking about. I've had these feelings. I don't know if about you, but I'm in danger of putting my focus on being successful and making that the center of my identity. You know, the biggest hint of if you are falling into the trap of the goddess of success is if you need to be the best in your area of expertise in order to feel self-confident. I mean, it's not a bad thing to be the best one, but if the motivation is, I need to be the best in order to feel important, then there is maybe a little bit of the goddess of success in our lives. All right, you know, there's all kinds of stuff we need to do and we can do and we need to can talk about uh, all of more, you know, the, 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 the tower could be endless, you know. And, but the question is, what is the way out of it? What is the way out of falling into the trap of making resources, good things, becoming our source? I think instead of making sacrifices and bowing down in front of the, these goddess, it is time to sacrifice that idol before God. Just like Abraham did in the Bible, you know. Abraham was a guy in the Old Testament where God promised a son and then generations and generations and nations of blessing through his life. And he had to wait for ages till eventually he and his wife Sarah became their son, Isaac. So he had Isaac and he was happy because he was thinking now the blessing then can come, you know. And God knew that and he was looking and observing Abraham uh, from above and he was seeing, wow, Abraham puts Isaac actually before me. And God didn't like that because he is a jealous God. And then God said basically, you know, take your son, your beloved. He says even in the Bible, take your beloved son. It's not that verse. You can... Put that away. It's, we come to that one later. He said, um, take your beloved son, the one you love, the one that's on your heart. So God obviously knew he loved. It's not, it was not his fault that he loved him much. But it was, the fault was or, that he loved him more than God. So he said, bring him as an offering. Come up to that mountain and burn him as a law, uh, an offering to me. I mean, I don't know what you think about that, but to me that sounds crazy. I have three children, you know, and this is horrible. 
that thought. So probably this hiking trip for Abraham was the biggest test and at the same time the biggest lesson of his life. Because he put Isaac in front of God. So what he did at the end, he did the same. He did exactly what God was telling him. He was bu uh, building that altar. He was putting up some fire stuff there. Then he was laying Isaac on top of that altar. And then he was getting his knife, you know, and trying to kill Isaac. And in the very moment, God intervenes and says this. He says, do not lay a hand on that boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son, your beloved one, your precious. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. There's so much we can talk about, about that Bible verse. But I want to make this one point. Maybe today it is time to put anything like that, that maybe has become an idol, to put it back to where it belongs and offer it to God. Sacrifice it. Don't bow down because this one, this stuff will destroy you. But push it down and sacrifice it. And basically, do your own hiking trip on top of the mountain and put back Jesus in the center, you know, because this is what it's all about. This is what it's all about. That stuff is not bad stuff, but is, if this is the most important stuff in your life, it won't fulfill us. I've been there. I tried it. It doesn't work. So maybe you think, okay, very interesting stuff, Björn, but I have been a Christian and a good Christian for many years now, and I don't have any idols anymore. I have Jesus in my center and I am fine. You know, what are you talking about? Then that's good. That's great. It's great for you. But I found out when I was reading that book, you know, coming to back to the campground, that there's other stuff that actually can bring me back from the source of life, which is Jesus. Maybe it's not an idol, but maybe it's other stuff. Maybe you have something wrong as I had with my heart. I don't know about you, maybe you have tried this once. When I was 19 years or 18 years old, actually, I um, moved out from home and I moved into a nice living community with eight other guys, nine men living in a little bit of a messed up um, house. <laughs> and uh, I tried this once, you know. There was this bottle of milk next to the refrigerator, and I didn't know how old it was, but um, I, had, I was thirsty, and I thought to myself, this now a nice zip of milk would be great to kill my thirst. So I took a big sip, and the moment I felt this lukewarm, sour, ugly-tasting milk, Nasty. Oh. It felt so disgusting. I don't know if you did that, but if you do it, you do only do it once. And then you learn your lesson and you smell it first before you drink. <laughs> Jesus says in Revelation 3 verse 15, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. 
I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. I don't know, when you read these lines, that actually really challenges me. Because I have heard, I've heard myself and I've heard other Christians actually saying lines like this, you know, well, I have Jesus still in the center of my life, you know, but in some areas of my life, I've drawing a little bit back. You know, I've become a little bit lukewarm, you know, in my life in this area or in that area. You know, I was hot. I was more on fire for Jesus a couple of years ago. I'm not on fire like this, but it's okay, you know, I still have Jesus a little bit in my life, you know. But if, you if, if that is really your circumstance, your case, read these lines. I mean, they are pretty clear what Jesus, what God thinks about lukewarm people that are not on fire. It's gross to him. For me, I mean, when I was reading that book, and I'm about to read you a couple of descriptions of what it means to be a lukewarm Christian, it is actually pretty crazy. You know, what is the profile of a lukewarm? A couple of stuff now, a couple of verses I will throw in on your, uh, on your head now. And it's not to step on your, f it's not to make you feel bad. Because I'm also talking to me, you know, I found myself in these conditions. I think we are on the same boat, but if this is serious to God, I think we have to take it serious as well. So lukewarm people, this is a good one at first, you know, lukewarm people go to church regularly. Welcome to church. It is expected, of course, by a good Christian. So we raise up our hands and sing, You are higher, higher, higher than the mountains in your love. And we sing that stuff, and it's great. But the Lord says, these people worship me only with their words. They honor me by what they say, but their hearts are far away from me. Their worship doesn't mean anything to me. They teach nothing but human rules, and we can't be in our hearts like that. We can worship like none other till the cows come home, but in our hearts, it looks different. Lukewarm people, another thing, give money to the church, to charity organizations, as long as it is not affecting my living standard and as long as it doesn't hurt, as long as I give, can give a little bit, you know, money of my, I'm, I'm, I'm giving of my leftovers, you know, a little bit to God, you know, uh, then it doesn't affect me, then I'm fine and I'm still happy and God, Love's a cheerful giver, right? So I'm giving out of my leftovers and I feel happy. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He saw also a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly, I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people give their gifts out of their wealth, their leftovers. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live out, to live on. And I don't want to talk you in a way, talk bad about you, you know. I think it's all a matter of heart, of our heart condition. But we can give out of nothing, out of tradition, out of, you know, that's okay, you know. A little bit leftovers, you know, but our heart is not in it. Lukewarm people are moved by stories about people who do radical things for Christ. You know, right now there's a big conference going on in Nuremberg called Awakening Europe. And there's Todd White, there's Ben Fitzgerald, and they are preaching, you know, and people are clapping. And they are enthusiastic, and it's going to be great. And Todd White was here, you know. And I loved it when he was preaching because he had all these great stories to tell. And it was impacting, it was thrilling for me, it was great, you know. 
But then what you can do wrong is you can hear it and you can clap, but you cannot change anything about your life. And that actually is the same thing again. James puts it like this. He says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Now, it's not a bad thing to be moved by these stories, but it's a bad thing to not change anything about your life and to think this is, you know, radical Christianity. It's for some chosen frozen people, the staff of ICF or the preachers or the cool people, you know, they have it all together, but it's nothing for me. You know, Jesus was very challenging of what it means to follow him. Lukewarm people rarely share their faith. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. This is challenging stuff, guys. For me, at least, it is. Lukewarm people think about life on earth much more than eternity in heaven. Your daily life, our to-dos, our vacation next month needs to be planned. And C.S. Lewis has an interesting thing to say. He says... If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Now Paul says, set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things. And that doesn't mean that you don't have a clue what music is in or what clothes to wear or to be a little bit, you know, weird-looking as a Christian, but it means to put your focus on the right thing. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. I think we are all sitting in the same boat. And maybe that stuff is challenging you. Maybe you feel a little bit, you know, I'm a German guy. I can do that, right? I'm a pastor anyway. I can step on some people's foots, you know, a little bit because I'm sitting in the same boat. But I think we are all in danger of either having an idol or becoming lukewarm. When I read the Bible, Jesus is not talking about some selective radical Christians. He's inviting all of us to be on a journey of a loving, fulfilling relationship. He doesn't say, follow me a little bit, you know, maybe that at least in some areas of your life People can see that you are following me and then you can call yourself a Christian. Then I'm already satisfied. That's okay. I'm happy with that. No, God is a jealous God. He doesn't want us to have idols or anything. He wants to have us on fire for him. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples, it's said. So I don't know about you, but when I read those verses and when I read those descriptions, it is very challenging for me. And maybe it is time today to lay down an idol before God and saying, hey God, you know, I have this, I have this stuff in my life where I, depend, I was depending more than, than you on. And you sacrificed that during our time of worship right now, very concrete. And maybe you find yourself in some of these conditions of feeling lukewarm and And really think about it. it. This is actually gross for God. He will spit you out. I don't, I, honestly, I don't think there is no such thing as lukewarm Christianity. Because you either are a follower of Christ or you're not. So I want us all to be ready and to run back to the source. Because this year 
is actually what it's all about. He and he alone can satisfy our souls, our bodies, our relationships, everything. So I want to ask you to stand, stand on your feet right now and, and let, let's, let's pray before we start to worship again. How do you do that? How do you set yourself straight back to the source? I think it's exactly in the same way as Jesus was consulting the church of Laodicea where he was talking about lukewarm Christianity. What he said, and I want to end with, with that verse, is here I am. Stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person. And they with me. So Jesus' counsel was not try harder, do more, be more on fire out of your own strength or kill that stuff out of your own strength. But his counsel was come near to me and I will come near to you. So when you feel challenged right now about maybe being lukewarm or having an idol, it's okay. Jesus knows our hearts. He wants only one thing and one thing alone. He is knocking at, our, at, at, the, at the door of our hearts and he wants to come in. He wants to be close to you and he wants to be close to me. He wants to be in a loving relationship. I mean, there's this incredible offer of the God who is almighty, all-knowing, all-caring, holy, eternal. He can do everything with our lives. And he's there and he desperately wants to be in relationship with you and me. So what do you do with that? The only thing and the right thing is to open up your heart and let him in one more time. So let's all do that. Let's have a very short moment of silence right now. And maybe there's something you want to talk with God. Bring it up to him. Speak, speak with him right now in the, in the next couple of seconds. Tell him something. Offer something. Do an offering. Do your hiking trip right now. Or set something right. Jesus, and you know my heart. You know everyone's hearts here right now. Invite your Holy Spirit during this time of worship to, to test us, to examine ourselves, to, to meet us. You are there. You are here right now. You want to have fellowship with us. You want to eat and drink with us. And I, for myself, I, I want to say, I want, I want to have that, Jesus. I want to be close to you. I want to be on fire for you, Jesus.